You're listening to audio from Redeemer Anglican Church in the urban heart of Richmond, Virginia. We are a parish committed to gospel formation for missional presence through seven essential practices. Telling the biblical story, embracing a new identity in Jesus, finding belonging in the church community, cultivating virtue through redemptive habits, understanding our context in this current cultural moment, laboring in renewed vocations for the common good, and reordering our imaginations through beauty in the arts. To learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. You may be seated for the reading of God's Word. We are in the book of Jonah, and we'll be looking at Jonah 2, chapter 2, which is on 774 of your Pew Bible. And as always, we want to offer the reminder that if you do not have a Bible at home, please take one with you this morning. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. All rise. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34 found on page 825 in your pew Bibles. As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. (laughs) 
Good morning. Wonderful to be with you. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the current church planter in residence. My family and I are working towards planting Resurrection Anglican Church in Midlothian. Shameless plug for our prayer meeting today. Come on out. Um, I'm excited to be with you, though, looking at Jonah 2 uh, this morning. We're in our third week of Lent. And Lent is a season where the church around the world uh, embraces the realities of our mortality and our sinfulness. Uh, It's the season when we recognize our need for God's mercy to save us from sin and death. And so to that end, we are in a series on Jonah, which is a story fundamentally that is about God's mercy. And we've seen how God calls Jonah to bring a message of mercy to Nineveh, a city and a people who are enemies of God and who are hated by Jonah. And Jonah, instead of going to Nineveh, he rises and goes the other direction. He flees by ship towards Tarshish. And last week, Lane talked about how God's mercy pursued Jonah in the form of a storm, which led to even the sailors on this boat crying out for mercy. And Jonah knows that the storm is from God and he knows it's because of him, but he does not call out for mercy. He instead comes up with this amazing plan to save the day. Hurl me into the sea. And God will relent. And so eventually this is exactly what the sailors do. And Jonah is sinking down and God sends a fish to save him, which swallows him. This is all just Jonah chapter one. This is like the next great Netflix miniseries is just Jonah chapter one. It's one of the least boring books of the Bible, although it may, may be hard to understand. And what we come to in Jonah two is Jonah's song and prayer from inside the belly of the fish. And there's a lot of questions that we might be asking about things that happen in the bellies of fish. Uh, but what I want to focus on uh, is what I see in Jonah two, which is Jonah's experience of God's mercy. Take those other questions, save them for small group, talk about them. This morning, we're going to talk about Jonah's experience of mercy. So let me pray, and then we'll look at Jonah 2 together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of your word. I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to be at work in it right now, so we might know you and love you more and love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. My girls like to play trust falls with me. When's the last time you did a trust fall? Uh, my, my older kids have sort of outgrown this, but my younger two still like to play trust falls with me. So what we do is we go, into, we go into my room and they take turns climbing up on the bed and they walk to the edge and they turn around and they spread out their arms and they count to three and they fall backwards. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't mean to brag, but when they do this, I catch them like every single time. Like I always catch them when we're doing a trust fall. And a trust fall, it's all in the name, right? A trust fall is an experience that is physically and emotionally frightening and uncomfortable, but which actually serves a relational purpose. Does that make sense? That, that feeling in the pit of your stomach and that wondering, is he going to catch me, is reinforced by the catch in such a way that it actually builds up the relationship between the two people. You're putting yourself in a situation where you need something from someone else. And that's what we see in this chapter from Jonah that Lane just read, that Jonah is in the the midst of an experience of a God-imposed trust fall. He's in the midst of an experience which is physically and emotionally terrifying, but the purpose of that experience is actually relational. It is actually intended to build up his relationship with God. God knows what he's doing. God has a plan for dealing with Jonah's refusal to obey him, with Jonah's 
refusal to walk with him, with Jonah's refusal to speak with him. And so he instigates this trust fall. So if you hear one thing this morning, this is what I want you to hear. It is God's kindness to hurl us into situations where we are desperate for him. Because the thing that is best for us is the experience of his mercy. It is God's kindness to hurl us into situations where we are desperate for him because the thing that is best for us is the experience of his mercy. That's what this is. Jonah is literally running away from God and and not only running from him, but one of the things that you don't see until chapter, chapter two is any conversation between Jonah and God. You see God talking to Jonah, but nothing in return. You see no obedience. You see no compassion. It's all about Jonah. And even when he realizes that, that God has sent this storm, he'd literally rather die than call out to God. And so God hurls him into an even more desperate situation. The storm wasn't enough. I'll give you something else. So sinking into the depths of the sea, fading into darkness and cold and death. And so what I want to show this morning is that this is actually a kindness to Jonah. And what I hope and pray that we will see is that the desperate situations in our own lives are actually a kindness from God as well, because they are the means through which we might experience his mercy, which is the best thing for us. So what I want to see is that in Jonah's desperation this morning, three marks of the experience of of mercy. First, Jonah remembers God. Second, Jonah recognizes God. And then third, Jonah reconnects with God. Okay. He remembers God. He recognizes God and he reconnects with God. First, he remembers God. This is sort of the good news, bad news situation of, of mercy. God continues to push Jonah into deeper and deeper desperation until Jonah calls out to him. The storm isn't enough. It takes Jonah sinking down into death to make him remember, remember God. And we see this in verse seven. Jonah says this, when my life was fainting away, I remembered God and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. He's, he's describing here the moments in between falling into the sea and being rescued by the fish. This is something that we're only hearing Jonah talk about looking back. We, we don't know what he's saying in that moment because you can't, he, the, the author chooses not to tell us this, but he's describing what happens in those moments. He was about to die and he remembered. He remembered God. He remembered who God is and what he is like. Do, do you remember a time when you hadn't talked to God for a while? Maybe for some of you that's right now. And things in your life started to fall apart and you started to get a little more desperate and a little more exhausted and a little more anxious until eventually, as a sort of a last resort, you cry out to God. I think maybe like Jonah, it's not a very pretty prayer when you're sinking down into the, into the darkness, right? Maybe some of you have stories of coming to faith that are like that. Maybe some of you in this room don't yet know Jesus but you, you do know what it feels like to have the waves crashing on top of you. And you do know what it feels like to have uh, those things piling up so that you, you can't get back on your feet before the next wave comes. And the invitation in this for us this morning is to see what God is doing is leading us to the point of desperation so that we will remember, so that we will call, so that we will cry out. My, my hope and encouragement is that when we will do, we will have the kind of experience that the blind men in, in our gospel reading that Steve just read had, that we call out, have mercy on me, and he will turn. 
and he will listen and he will draw near to you. The first experience of God's mercy is actually to remember God. The second is that in Jonah's desperation, he, he recognizes God. Jonah's prayer from the belly of the fish recognizes God at work in all kinds of ways. And he starts to see that everything that is happening is happening from the hand of God. And we already had a sense of this. Jonah knew when the storm was hitting the boat that it was from God, right? But we see this even more explicitly. And we know this because he starts attributing everything that's happening to God. He says, you cast me into the deep. It was your waves. It was your billows. And then you brought up my life from the pit. You sent the fish to save me from death. If you turn to the front cover of your bulletin, you'll see a Scott Erickson print of a of a boat in water held in hands. And the reason that I love this image is because it reminds me that if we have eyes to see, if we could sort of zoom back from our lives, even the intense moments, we become aware that it's all happening within God's hands. We become aware that it's all happening within God's love. We become aware that it's all happening within God's control. Something begins to happen when we call out to God in desperation. We see his fingerprints all over the place. It's one of the things I'm praying God gives me eyes to see as me and my family and some others are working to start this church plant in Midlothian. We really want eyes to see the ways that God is at work all over the place, not just about the anxiety we feel or the longings we have. And I want to encourage you that as we pray, God's actually doing this. He's making himself known in all kinds of ways in the relationships that are building and the, the eagerness to pray and the openness to conversation. I got an email this week from a woman who lives in Hawaii who's been praying for an Anglican church in Chesterfield County. What is that? That's God's hands. That's the fingerprints of God. That's the assurance that he's, he's opening my eyes to. Now, um, church planting is not a crisis. I, I hope that it is not the thing that leads me to death. But I am desperate. I can't do it. I can't build it. I need God. And I need him to open my eyes so that I can recognize the ways that he is at work, the ways he is with me. It's God's kindness to hurl us into situations where we are desperate for him because he uses it to open our eyes so we can recognize where he is and what he's doing. I want to say that I know for many in this room, in the desperation that you feel, God hasn't yet given you encouragement. He hasn't answered your prayers for relief. He hasn't brought the rescue that you are longing for. And I just want to validate the reality of how mysterious God is and how he works and how he makes us wait and what he reveals to us and what he doesn't reveal to us and the pain that he allows us to endure. That's real. But if you open your eyes, if you call out to him in your desperation, you will start to see the ways he's at work. Some of those ways are small. A prayer from Hawaii doesn't build a church. But it helps me to see that he's there and he's real and he's working. Lastly, in Jonah's desperation, he, he reconnects with God. One of the funny things about chapter two is that all of Jonah is about God's mission to Nineveh, right? And do you see Nineveh mentioned anywhere in chapter two? No, you do not. It's an, it's an interruption in God's plan for Nineveh, where all God does instead is deal with Jonah. 
This is all about Jonah's personal relationship with God. And I find this to be really encouraging. In, in my own life of faith, I have sometimes struggled with understanding what is most important. Is what's most important God's mission to the world? Or is what's most important my personal relationship with Jesus? Which one? The answer is yes. Because God's big enough to handle it. God is on mission to the whole world because he made the whole world and he loves it. And he cares just about you. Just you. So you don't have to decide between the two. And what we see in this is this beautiful picture of God waiting on his plans to deal with an individual person. And I'm very encouraged by that. In Jonah's desperation, he reconnects with God. Dan pointed out in the first week that Jonah wasn't just fleeing from this mission that God had given him. He was actually fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And we've already noted how in Jonah 1, Jonah never talks to God. He's disconnected from him. But now that he's been hurled into the sea, he's talking with him again. He's reconnected. He's calling out. He's praising him. Verse four says, I am driven away from your sight, yet shall I, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Remember, the temple isn't just a place, it's the location of God's presence with his people. It's like Jonah is saying, I, I was running away from your presence, but I'm coming back. I want to be back with you. I want to reconnect. I want to rekindle the fire of our relationship. I'm going to be in your presence again. My oldest daughter has been rereading the first Harry Potter book. Uh, And the first half of that book is uh, given over to a lot of uh, incredible and ridiculous things. But one of the main plots in the book is how Harry and Ron become friends with this girl named Hermione. Because at the beginning of the book, Harry and Ron think that Hermione is a stuck-up, know-it-all teacher's pet. And Hermione thinks that Harry and Ron are these rude, irresponsible rule-breakers, which is the worst thing you could possibly be in her eyes. And so they're not understanding each other. They're hurting each other's feelings. They're mocking each other. Uh, And then one night, something terrible happens. On Halloween, um, a troll gets into the castle. And the troll goes into a room where it turns out Hermione is, and now she's trapped in there with the troll. And Harry and Ron, realizing that it's their fault, they decide they have to go help. And so even though they're enemies with Hermione, they, they go into this room and they engage in this intense and violent fight against a troll. But but they win, they conquer it. They knock this troll out using all their, all their wit, all their magic that they have as little children. And they beat this troll. And then there's this moment at the end of the chapter where they're just kind of standing together in a little circle, a little awkward silence. And without even making eye contact, they just say, thanks. And then they go off to bed. And the chapter ends with this line. It says, there are some things that you can't share without ending up liking each other. And knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Hardship with people actually softens our heart for relationship. You experience this, right? Hardship in life with other people actually softens our hearts for relationship. Uh, That's why if you've gone through football two-a-days, or you've endured your dad's bad jokes together, or you've served in military combat together, it bonds you together, right? And it's the same in our relationship with God. Hardship actually softens our heart. Uh, My wife, Maggie, shared a a quote with me recently from Dan Allender about this. Uh, He says this, the kindness of God is always present, but the human heart is never more available to God's tenderness and kindness than when in grief. God's kindness and tenderness is always there, but there's something about pain 
There's something about loss. There's something about desperation that actually makes us available to God because we know we need him. So I want to ask you to consider the places of desperation in your life. Where are the places in your life where you are struggling with anxiety, struggling with worry, with loneliness, with loss, with disappointment? Some of these things in our lives are small. Some of them feel overwhelmingly large. And I don't know what those experiences have been like for you. And I don't know what it's like for you to consider God in the midst of them. If you're anything like me, then you're either overwhelmed by those things in a way that kind of makes you angry and resentful. Or you kind of try to run away from them and pretend they're not there. Numbing out with work or with YouTube or with food and drink, whatever it is. But in the midst of those things, I want to tell you that God is pursuing you with his love and his mercy. And your pain is actually forming in your heart an openness to receive his goodness for you. It's actually softening you. And so it's his kindness, even in the midst of our pain. Because he cares about your job aspirations. He cares about your health. And he cares about your family and your relationships. He cares about your bank account. But the thing he most wants for you is for you to experience his mercy. For you to know him as he is present with you in love in the midst of your pain. As I've reflected on this this week, uh, I thought, you know, what if my inadequacy as a dad or my weakness as a husband or my anxiety about money, or my fear about planting a church, what if those things aren't something that I need to get over? What if those are the things that are forming me into a person who is desperate for God? And what if the best version of me is me desperate for God? What if desperate for God is actually the way that leads me to connect with Jesus more? What if desperate for God is actually the thing that leads me more towards humility and grace? What if desperate for God is the thing that makes me more fruitful and loving in my life, in my relationships? It's God's kindness to hurl us into desperate situations because they make us desperate for him. I started talking about trust falls, uh, about physically and emotionally scary situations that actually serve a, a relational end. I'll end with another anecdote about kids because children teach us so much about the kind of hearts we need to cultivate, don't they? That's what the Bible says. Uh, there are times when it's storming outside during bedtime. I remember the last time this was happening, I was putting one of my daughters to, to, to bed. I was trying to anyways, and there's thunder and lightning happening outside and she's scared and she's upset. And she's asking me if there are tornadoes coming and she's getting anxious. Uh, and I'm trying to pacify her. I'm trying to tell her, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have to be afraid. There's nothing wrong. And she says to me, Daddy, will you pray? Which had not occurred to me. I have developed an, an attitude that either assumes that things will work out or knows that I can handle it or just ignores it because it's uncomfortable. None of which lead me to need God. Her attitude was, I'm scared. We need God. And she was right. We do. And he will remind us that we need him because he loves us 
And he longs for us to experience what is best, which is his mercy for us. And we can trust, hear this, we can trust his goodness in hurling us into desperate situations because in Christ, God hurled himself into pain and weakness and death to give us life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you that you were with us in the midst of our desperation. I pray that you would use those things to grow our faith. And I pray that you would use those to draw us into an experience of your presence and your mercy with us so that we could have courage and so that we could know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To connect with our team or to learn more about our church, visit RedeemerRVA.org. We look forward to knowing you. Go in peace.